Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. I think a message that happened 2,000 years ago on the other side of the earth, how somehow has come to my life and reached me and I've been able to hear it and believe and be saved and be promised eternal life. And so of you, this gospel truth of old will never stop moving through the world and saving people. And it has reached us, church, Gentiles, non-Jews, other side of the world. It has reached us. God has been faithful. He has risen his son. He's at the right hand of the Father and it's still moving and there's still hope. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we're here to continue to proclaim that and take that to our family, to our friends, to the other uttermost parts of the world to tell the world this beautiful message that salvation is free and it comes only through the way, the truth, and the life through Jesus Christ. And he is risen. Now let's bow our knees and go boldly to this Father and pray and ask him to be with us this morning. Heavenly Father, we can come boldly to you only because of your Son who was obedient to your plan, who laid his life down willingly, and who rose from the dead. And is at your hand, right hand, interceding, advocating for your children. Thank you that the veil has torn in two, that the law of sin of death has been removed, and that the law of spirit has come in and given us freedom pray that you would ignite our hearts this morning, that you would let the praise and the glory and the joy push through all of life's circumstances, all emotions, the, the reality of the eternal joy that you have brought to your people is greater than any pain we feel. As I think of Paul's words, that the, the weight of glory that is waiting for us is, is not to be compared to this present suffering. So help the one here that's hurting, whose mind is focused on what's going on around them. I pray that you'd lift their head, their drooping knees, and that you would let them see the beauty and the joy and the hope that's in your son Jesus. Either once again or for the first time ever, you'd bring them to the place where they'd see the love of Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. We pray all of this now as we go into your word that you'd open our hearts and minds to understand these wonderful truths in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Kids, I know you're going off to Summit Kids to enjoy Resurrection Sunday as well. And for the rest of us who are in here, take your Bible. And if you would, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Last week, we were in Romans 8, verses 1 through 8, talking about Palm Sunday and this triumphant king who came to triumph over what? To be a king who would defeat what? And as we learned in the first few verses of Romans 8, to defeat the law of sin and death. And God did what the law weakened by the flesh could not do in our life and that save us, redeem us, forgive our sins. 
Today, we continue on in Romans 8, and we're going to talk about the Easter spirit, the Easter spirit. Go back with me, if you would. In our minds, let's pretend it's Easter Sunday, a little over 2,000 years ago. Good Friday has happened, but for them, it was not good. The disciples and those who followed Jesus, because they saw him crucified and slain and laid in a tomb, and it seemed like the enemy had exalted himself over Jesus. So what would it be like for that weekend as the last thing, especially for Peter, the last thing he did was deny his savior that he said he'd die for. He goes away and he weeps bitterly and before he can make things right, Jesus dies. What would that be like? A black cloud over the people of God who saw their Messiah and their God killed as if the enemy had won. But then that Sunday morning, as Mary And the other Mary and the women went to the tomb trying to debate who would roll the stone away. And they get there and they see that it's already rolled away. And an angel there telling them to go, that he is risen as he said he would. Now go and tell the disciples. Mark puts in especially Peter, which I think is interesting because Peter is the one who really needs to hear this good news. So they go and they tell the disciples. And what does the gospels tell us that they were like, ah, this is a peculiar thing. What are you talking about, ladies? But Peter and one of the other disciples gets up and runs to the tomb. It's funny, if you read the, the, the account, the Gospels talk about Peter running to the tomb. Then you get to the book of John. John says, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved decided to run to the tomb, but the other disciple beat Peter to the tomb. Right, And it's almost like John's like putting that in there. I want to make note that, you know, I actually outran Peter. I made it to the tomb. Right, They get there and they, they look in and Jesus isn't there. And they see the, the linen cloth folded in such a way that was like, oh, such a wonderful thing that, hey, he's not here. He's coming back. Your Savior is not here because he has risen Right, so they go back and they try to tell the other disciples they're excited and they're still in this state where they're like, what's going on? This is exciting, but I don't know. Then you have Thomas who's like, I refuse to believe. I refuse to believe. Unless I can see for myself, I can have the proof and see for myself the holes in his hands, the hole in his side, I will not believe. And then what happened? Like that. Jesus appears before them. Not as a ghost, not as a spirit, but in human form, miraculously appears before the disciples. And he says, Thomas, come here. Put your whole hand in my side and in my hands. And they gave Jesus something to eat. He asked for something to eat. And they, as Thomas fell to his knees, he said, my Lord and my God. Could you imagine what that would be? The Easter spirit of that time would no longer be the black cloud of Good Friday. Friday has all of a sudden become good instantly. Now the sun is out and now the dancing and the singing and the praise begins. You know, the disciples doing the shepherd shuffle. You know, they're doing the fisherman pool. Excited. The, the spirit of joy welling up in their hearts and that has been continuing to well up in the hearts of God's people since then despite the evil and the darkness that continues to abound in the world. We still come together and I can feel it with my brothers and sisters right now, just the joy that's emanating from you as this day reminds us that our Savior is risen and that the enemy has been defeated and that we're awaiting a day 
where we too will be risen and we will meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know, the, when I talk about it like that, the Easter spirit, it kind of gets us in the mood. We feel the joy and the excitement. But I actually am wanting to talk about something different than just the obvious, wonderful, necessary, appropriate spirit of joy and excitement that comes along with it. And I want to talk about the, the Easter spirit. I'm talking about the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit. Look at Romans 8 with me. Starting in verse 9. And let me read three verses. Paul talking to the Romans, he said this. Speaking to the Christians in Rome who he had not met yet. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, let me remind you of where we're at in Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 1 of Romans 8, and then we're going to look at the very last verse. Let's look at the sandwich of the chapter we're in. Romans 7 just got done talking about how horrible we are in our, in our flesh, how we end up doing the things we don't want to do, and we're littered with sin and iniquity and wickedness. But Romans 8.1 says this. Let me remind you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now look at the very last verse of Romans 8. The very last verse. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the people of God, there should be a resounding, confident assurance that there is no condemnation on your life, that Jesus has succeeded in victory on your behalf, and that his love will abide with you and in you for all time. And it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that he puts inside of his people, God himself dwelling in you as the guarantee of that. Let's think about this. We're going to talk about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I want to pull out three realities of the Holy Spirit in your life because of your faith in Jesus. But let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a second. We're talking about God himself, the third person of the Trinity. The one that Jesus said in John 14 to his disciples before he was crucified, he told them, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, John 14. But if I go, I'll come and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. But then, but then they're sad because he's going away. Like, what is this? But he promised them, listen, it's to your advantage that I go away because if I do not go away, the helper will not come. He was talking about the Holy Spirit, the helper, the counselor, God himself. He said, my spirit I will give you and he will be in you and he will remind you of everything that I have told you 
And so Jesus proclaims, listen, something's better. I know it's great for me to be here with you, but I'm one. I want me to be in every single person, not just beside you, but inside you, with you, wherever you go. As he told the woman at the well, there's coming a time where no longer on this mountain or on this mountain in any location will people worship but they will worship him in spirit and truth. These are the ones the Father is looking for. These are the type of worshipers he's looking for. So when we come together, this building is just a building. God does not dwell in this building. He dwells in you. And when we come together, you have the temples of God gathering together. What a wonderful, miraculous truth. This is crazy that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you not in temples made by human hands. This is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Look at Romans chapter eight, verse nine. The Holy Spirit is God. He is a person. God in the Old Testament said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. He says, you, however, what is he talking about? Well, if you read previously, he's comparing two different types of people those who set their minds on the things of the spirit and those who set their minds on the things of the flesh, those who live according to the spirit and those who live according to the flesh. You have the children of God and you have those who are still lost and dead in their sins. You have those who have the law of the spirit abiding on them, that is freedom, that's no longer uh, an obligation to be living according to the requirements of the law and you have those who do not have the spirit who are still in the flesh, who still are under the obligation to keep the law. And when they die, if they die like that, the Bible says they die in their sins and they'll stand before God and give an account, give judgment, and they will be judged by the very law that they've broken their whole life and they will be guilty. That's every single one of us. You, however, Paul says with confidence about the Christians he's writing to, you, however, are not in the flesh in the flesh, your life, the inner person is no longer consumed by the way the world thinks. No longer consumed and under the sway and under the influence of the things of the world. Thinking the way that people without God think in a pagan type of way. But he says you are in the spirit, which now means that your mind and your heart and your affections are set on the heavenly eternal things. The things that pertain to life and godliness, the things that the scriptures talk about. And those who are in Christ, their life is now permeated, immersed. You are baptized into Christ, Romans 6 says. You are immersed into him, so your life is now him. You're in him. You think like him. You feel like him. You talk like him. Yet we all know, though, we're still in this body of death, though. So there is a war and a struggle. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. But notice he says this. He says, if, if in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, or since the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is where we need to take a pause and we need to check our own hearts 
does the spirit of God dwell in you? If, if, if belonging to God is so important and it's necessary that the spirit dwell in you in order to be saved, does the spirit of God dwell in you? Let me share with you some verses. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves, test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And failure in the scripture is allowing the cares of the world or the trials of the world to pull you away from Jesus where you get to a point where Jesus is no longer what you believe in. You give up on him. He never gives up on you. You give up on him and you prove you were never in the spirit, never in Jesus. He was never in you. You failed to meet the test. Jesus warned of four different types of soil. Only one was good soil. Proved to have the word deeply rooted inside of them and their whole life was this fruit of the evidence that God was in them. But there were two other soils that received the gospel initially with joy. But as time goes on, either the cares of the world. Man, I want what the world's trying to give me. I'm ready to chase it. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve two masters. You give up on God and you chase the world. You receive it with joy, but you fall away. You do not belong to him. Or... Life just gets really hard. The trials come in, the sufferings, you just can't take it anymore. And so you give up on him because following him is too hard. And you'd rather go find relief and joy and help somewhere else. If, in fact, the spirit dwells in you, and then he says this, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Fact, no gray area, no nuance. It's like Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter three, the spirit of God moves how he wants to. It's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going, but you can feel its effect. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless someone is born of the spirit, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. God has to do a work in you. He has to come and take this body of flesh that's dead and put his spirit in you and make you alive. Has he done that for you? It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from dead inside of you. How can you know? Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for your time here on earth. Let me explain that. That's one of those verses that make you, uh, I've got to work to make sure that I'm saved. He says work out. It's the idea of if God is in you, it will come out of you. Jesus already gave the teaching that is what in you comes out of you. So if God is in you, show that he's in you. Work it out of you as a confidence and assurance for yourself. Uh, Corey quoted 1 Peter chapter one. If you listen there, you'll find that your life and the things that you go through are your uh, opportunity to prove to yourself that God is indeed in you. He talked about this wonderful inheritance that's in heaven 
undefiled, unperishing, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed. He said, in this you rejoice. That's exciting. But he says, but though now for a little while, if need be, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Who would want that? And why is that necessary? But listen, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in the praise and the honor and the glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, tested by fire. Your life, the time that you have in front of you, is a good time to prove that the spirit of God dwells in you. And, and every trial you go through and you still love God, every, every hardship you go through and you still love God, every time you sin over and over and over again, you still turn your heart to him and you say, God, forgive me, I'm just a man, a wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. And he picks you up and he restores you over and over again. All of this is only not, it's not making you save, it's helping you see that you are and the spirit indeed dwells in you because Jesus says the testing of life weeds out and it shows who are his and who are not those who either chase the world for the pleasures of the world or who give up on God because life is too hard then you have those in the middle who despite what happens in life despite their struggle with sin they're still fighting the good fight of faith and keeping it is that you you however Paul says with confidence He believed the spirit of God is in you, hearing the testimony of their faith. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. But we have that little clause there, and we should think, does he? What happened the moment you believed? The moment you heard the message that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the dead, and in your heart you believe that. What happened? Apart from works, you were immediately saved. You were immediately sealed with the Holy Spirit. God entered you, and he lives with you. And he made a new creation in you. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The spirit within you, makes you no longer see God as this enemy or this master over you, but you see God as a father and the spirit inside cries, Father, Dad, you've been adopted. You're a child. He loves you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did something to make this possible so that all you have to do is in faith believe this message and you will be saved. And it has to be apart from works. God does what you and I cannot. This is glorious. But he does it, how? Through the power of the spirit that quickens and brings your soul to life. Look what he says here next in verse 10. He says, but if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
What does that mean? If Christ is in you, in other words, the, the body is dead because of sin. Your body is decaying and it's dying. And it's dying because of sin. If you go back to Romans chapter 5, you'll find out why. The first three chapters of Romans are Paul doing a very good job convincing you that you are not a good person. And you shouldn't think that you are. You are guilty. You are a sinner. And there's nothing you can do about it. Chapter 4 starts to introduce some good news. That our righteousness has to come through faith and not through works. And then in chapter 5, he explains where sin came from. He says, he says in, in Adam, all died. Adam and Eve, Adam sinned as our human federal head. He sinned, and it said sin then spread from him to all men because everyone was born from him, so it spread, spread from him to all of us, so now we're infected by this sin. And he said because the wages of sin is death, now death spread to everyone, so our bodies die. But in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they disobeyed God, and God said in the day that you eat it, you'll die. Two things happened. Immediately their soul died and their bodies began to die. He's saying here, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, that's why it is because sin spread from Adam to you, the body is decaying and dying. You cannot stop that from happening. It's the result in the wages of sin. Although the body is dead because he says the spirit, the spirit, Spirit is life because of righteousness. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that has raised your dead soul to life. And he has immediately taken what had died immediately from the beginning and he has restored your soul to new life. He has quickened it, the scripture tells us. And you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's inside of you and the inner man is alive. The soul that does not die is alive. And if it's alive, it will stay alive forever and it will dwell securely with God forever in heaven because Christ is in you although the body is dying. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. Ezekiel 36 even prophesied about this and I will put my spirit within you And cause you to walk in my statutes to carefully obey. Because we cannot, we need God's spirit in us, not power, not might, but God himself in us to redeem this body so we can live in a way we can never live on our own. So that means not only if God is in you, that's necessary to be saved, but if he's In you, now the soul has been raised to life. Though your body is still dying, it means now you are able to live according to his ways. Not so that you can get saved, but because you've been saved, you are now able to live a life of godliness and holiness, which God has predestined you for. Scripture says that you have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? Because that's what he wants from you. And God's children want to do the will of their father. But also he's going to use that transformation in your life to save the rest of the world. Just as that transformation of people before you led to you hearing about Jesus so you could get saved. And the spirit of God is moving and his church is growing and the gates of hell are not and will not prevail against it. Even if we're counted as scum of the earth, God will continue to move 
in his people. Your soul is alive because the spirit is within you. But let us not forget how God did this. Jesus rose from the dead, but he had to die. Him rising from the dead proves that he is who he said he was. It, it, it's, it, it finishes it. it, it he then raises and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And now it is proven. Over 500 different people saw Jesus resurrected. And now we look back on the account of eyewitnesses who saw Jesus risen from the dead. We believe in faith. And Romans tells us that you are saved simply by your confession that Jesus is Lord. And that you believe that God rose him from the dead. You will be saved. But he had to die to purchase you. To redeem you. Notice he says anyone who does not have the spirit does not belong to him. If the spirit is in you, you belong to God. Acts 20, 28. Obtained by his blood, we're told. First Corinthians 6, 20. Bought with a price. He says it again in 7, 23. You are bought with a price. First Peter 1, 18 says you have been ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus. Revelation 5, 9 says this, talks about this song that is saying, it's a new song that's saying, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. I am so thankful for that. Because that means no matter where I was born, no matter what I grew up in, no matter who I am, no matter what nationality is, is I'm from or what lineage is in my blood, no matter who or where, I can be just as freely saved as anyone else. Salvation is from the Jews, but it spreads to the whole world. And here we are today. People who would have been counted as those who are far off from God have been brought near by the blood of Jesus and we can be saved. Ephesians 1 says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Hebrews 9, 12 says, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. And listen to this. Thus securing eternal redemption. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you. If indeed the spirit dwells in you, or because the spirit dwells in you, now your soul has been raised to life. Your soul is alive. Now the spirit is in you. You're able to understand and comprehend the things of the spirit, and you seek after. This is a big one. One of the evidences is that you actually care inside. You care about the things of the Lord. And you want to care about them more, about the things of the world. And yes, there's a war every day happening, but the war there, the struggle there is evidence that the Spirit's there. And if the Spirit's not there, you'll have no war inside. You'll still live for yourself. You'll still chase the world. You'll make life about what you want and you'll never feel bad about it. You may be deceived thinking, yeah, I believe so I'm good, but I'm still doing my thing Repentance is no longer doing your thing and chasing after God. Yes, there'll be a war there, but if the Spirit's in you, you'll know it because you'll be fighting against the flesh. Your soul has been awakened, but it still dwells in a body of death. But here's the good news. It doesn't just end with God saving your soul. Your soul has already been saved 
And you have this promise that your body will also be raised as well. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that raised your soul, and the same spirit here finally will also raise your body. Look what he says here in verse 11. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let me read that again. We just talked about the soul. Think about your physical body. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This comes back to what do you believe about yourself? Do you believe the soul is more important than the body or the body more important than the soul? Does the soul only matter and the body is just gonna die and that doesn't matter and we're just gonna be a a spirit-like being in heaven? No, when God created you, he made you in his image and it contains equally both soul and body. Jesus was given a physical body like us and he had to have a body like us so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And he had to suffer like us. He had to become the spotless lamb. But your body is just as important as your soul. God meant for you to have a body. You're not either, just one. Both are important. And the body that you're in is dying currently. But God has made a promise. He sealed you with the spirit, made your soul alive, and given you a promise that because the spirit's in you, that one day what's gonna happen is, well, Jesus has the first fruit. Jesus has the first example of the power of God on display of what he can do to your mortal bodies that decay and die. He will raise that body from the dead and he will give you a brand new body that will no longer be wrecked by sin and pain and suffering, but you will have a soul, you will have a body and you will live bodily and in soul in eternity with God face to face with Jesus in his body and it will be as life should be. There'll be no more tears, no more crying. Revelation tells us that he's coming to make a new heaven and a new earth. The old is gonna pass away and he's gonna bring the new into the world. That means that there is a new heavens and a new earth coming. Heaven is going to feel like this. It's not gonna be a dream state. You're gonna be alive. You're gonna be in a body, but it's gonna be perfect. It's gonna be eternal. There's gonna be no death, no crying, no suffering, nothing. It'll be everything that we're trying to find here that we can't find here. He's giving it to his people. This is why we tell people, stop trying to find it in the world. It's dying, it's passing away. The flesh is dead. The flesh cannot please God. The body is dying. Look away from this world that has been wrecked and cursed God is going to burn it up and he's going to create a brand new one. That's the one we're living for. This is Summit Church. That's why we're Summit. So we take our eyes off the, the, the temporal, the things that are pe- the fleeting pleasures of the world. And we put it at the summit where Jesus is. And we keep our eyes on the heavenly things. And we say, we're not going to let the world pull us away from this eternal thing that's coming. And in the moment, I'm going to give in and give in to the temporal things that are simply leading me to more death and more destruction, more depression, more angst, more anxiety, more identity crisis. I'm not going to be able to find anything in the world. The more I look in the world, the further away I get from God. And the more the, the deep 
longing hole inside of my soul begins to grow. But yet a light has shone in darkness and both people who dwell in darkness have seen a great light. And Jesus is the light of men that showed up and has shown us the way. But we think, man, God, how are you gonna do these things? By his Holy Spirit who dwells in you, who's with you, who, if you believed, has immediately made your soul alive and has promised you that your body is not gonna be left either. You know, when Paul wrote to the, to the Thessalonians and First Thessalonians, they were actually concerned about their loved ones who had died in Christ before them, concerned that they would, they would go ahead of them and they would get to be with Jesus because of his second coming and somehow that they would be left behind. But what do we know in First Thessalonians 5 that Paul says, no, 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 you're actually not gonna precede those people. They're gonna go before you. Those who have died will go first and we who are alive and remain shall meet them in the air with Jesus and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Death, as we sung, is just a doorway. But death is also not the end. Death is simply temporary for those who belong to God. But those who do not belong to God, who do not have the spirit inside of them, death will be eternal to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. People who reject this free gift and this awesome, wonderful salvation and rescue that God has brought through his son will be cut off from God for all of eternity. They will die in their sins. They will be judged by the law of sin and death and they will spend eternity away from God in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember what First John, Romans 8 said at the beginning there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But John 3, Jesus says we are condemned already if we're still in the flesh. When you're born, you're condemned on your way facing eternal punishment. You need rescue and this whole thing that we celebrate in Easter, the reason we're so excited about it is because him rising from the dead proves that he brought the rescue once and for all. It has come. You can be saved. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, has raised your soul to life and will raise your body as well. And he will bring you to be with him for all of eternity. And this is why we're so excited because though we still live in these bodies of death that still struggle that still fight with sin. Inside is the proof of a living God who has made us alive that will save us from wrath. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John three thirty six. whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We're told in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you have a reason to rejoice no matter what's going on in your life and a reason to have confidence that God has saved you by his Son through faith alone, apart from works. So where are you at? I, I like Paul, see my brothers and sisters, and I have confidence. I have confidence that the Spirit's in you and that you are in the Spirit. But I also know, Jesus said, there are many who will be deceived. 
Many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, in your name, cast out demons. Lord, in your name, do many wonderful works. And Jesus will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Many people who are associated with the church, many people who attend church, many people who are kind of, who are strapped to the train, but not on the inside. Strapped to it, but not on the inside. Those who are on the inside, no matter what happens in their life, no matter how they fall and cut their leg, no matter what happens, what they spill, what type of fights they get into inside the train, no no, no matter what happens, they're still on the train where it's going. Those who are kind of on top of it, kind of hanging on, eventually let go. And they go back into the world. into, Into the place where destruction's coming. So let me ask you, if you're here and you're like, man, I just... I hear this, I know I've heard it my whole life, maybe I'm hearing it for the first time, and this is true, this is true. I want to be in Christ, and I want Christ to be in me. I know I'm a sinner, and I know I'm facing the judgment of God. I want you to hear, I want you to hear the wonderful, beautiful reality of what God says to you. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. The person who humbles himself, admits he's a sinner, And ask God to forgive him. Say, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Will you save me? Be merciful to me. Forgive me. The Bible tells that person will never be cast out. God will save you. But it has to be apart from your own arrogant thoughts of your own ability and works. It's a humble reliance on God doing for you through Jesus what you can never do. And maybe you're here and you're convicted about your devotion to Christ. Maybe, maybe you are racked with a sense of lack of confidence, guilt, and shame. It could be because you're feeling the pull of the world and the struggle of the world. And it's, it's pulling you away from a, a pure devotion to Christ. And now you're in that place of a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And you have no assurance within your soul that you belong to him. You're setting your mind back onto the things of the world and the flesh. That is death but those who set their mind on the spirit is life. You spend time crying out to God, asking him to help you and to save you, and he will do what you cannot do, but it has to be a pure devotion to him and faith alone in his son. You cannot do it on your own. He did it for you, and the resurrection proves that. It has been done. So if you would, bow your head, close your eyes with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here. If anyone's struggling with confidence that they belong to you, would you help them see that maybe they're setting their mind back onto the law and they're trying to find confidence through their perfection. And so they look at their life and they don't see perfection, so they conclude that maybe I don't belong to God. Would you free, you have freed us from that law. That is death. I pray that you would help them to see themselves through the law of the spirit that has set them free, that because of what Jesus has done, he is perfect. And so you see Jesus perfect, and anyone who jumps into the ark is saved. Jesus being the ark. So, Father, help them to feel the assurance because of their faith and their dependency on Jesus alone. And, Father, if there's someone here who this feeling 
the conviction of the spirit that's drawing them to you because they believe they're an enemy of you. They know that they're still in their sins and if they were to die today, they would stand before you and be pronounced guilty and they would face the rightful condemnation of separation and hell for all of eternity because their whole life was a rejection of God's only son and their whole life was an acceptance of what they wanted and what the world had to offer. Father, would you, by your power, give them the strength to repent, grant them repentance, that they would call out to Jesus. You would well up in their hearts a cry to be saved. And you would prove yourself faithful as you do to all those who call upon you. God, thank you for the beautiful resurrection of Jesus. The spirit that raised him from the dead lives in us. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.